There's only one authority on the Tennessee Titans, and that's the Tennessean. And there's only one show that's an authority, too, and you've found it. This is Talkin' Titans. Hello, everybody. This is Gentry Estes, columnist for the Tennessean, alongside... Eric Backrack, Titans beat writer for the Tennessean. And we are here summing up the season, freshly back from Kansas City, and just a a truly awful trip, Eric. And and, and I say that it, it doesn't have anything to do with the game. On just, a personal note. <laughs> yeah, the travel was was just thoroughly awful for like a couple of days. It was cold. It was just just brutally bad. I think. Um, so your flight to your flight from Kansas City to Dallas was delayed which meant that your flight from Dallas, you, you would miss the connecting flight from Dallas to Nashville, so you drove. Yeah, right. That was on Monday, and I woke up to the news of, of that. And it wasn't just delayed like 20 minutes. It was delayed like two and a half hours or something. So, yeah, at that point, you call, and they're like, well, we don't have another flight to get you on. So, yep, rented a car at the airport, started driving, and it was snowing pretty much all through missouri if anyone's ever made that drive from kansas city to st louis on uh, i70 it's a long way it's a long way with with nothing except in this case snow it got pretty bad near columbia too that was the one part where i started getting concerned about can i keep going mm-hmm. there was a bad wreck near columbia it took like an hour and a half i stopped to to write about dean pease because right about during all this he announced his retirement so that was another hour <laughs> altogether the the drive took me like 11 hours so what you're saying is this this wins your superlative for worst road trip of the season. It was season. the worst road trip of the season and perhaps my entire career because when you log in after the game on on Saturday, on Sunday we it's like negative 5 or I don't know what temperature it was it but was it's cold, like the, the coldest I've ever been mm-hmm. and we had to walk like a mile away from the stadium. By the way, Kansas City I don't know why you want to block off all the roads around your football stadium like three or four hours after the game. There were no cars left. There were no cars trying to get in. And yet all the roads, like for a a wide perimeter, were still blocked off where where, uh, Uber drivers could not get in to get people. So, yeah, we had to – Eric, you weren't part of this group, so you didn't get to enjoy this. I was not. I I was fortunate to – have to wake up at three thirty, meet in the lobby, and then catch the six a.m. flight. All that being said, would much rather take that than an eleven-hour drive through uh, a winter winter storm or whatever you were dealing with. As bad as that was, I still say the Uber after the game was worse. Having to to walk like a mile to get up to yeah, a road—it was so cold. I can't imagine. Uh, it was painful. Mm-hmm. Like like I still feel the like the pain in my hands because I was dumb enough to not have gloves on. But for the most part, we were in the press box. We right. weren't. We didn't really have a lot to complain about for everyone at that game. But that was cold. That was. I'm not sure I've really ever been that cold. It was cold. It was very very cold. And so anyway, I guess we should probably talk about football. That's we what should. we're here for. And so uh, that one's worst road trip. And we will now get to a couple of other superlatives that we've kind of gone through for the season. You're just kind of summing it up as a whole. Uh, and I think I think we have to start Gentry with MVPs on either side of the ball. I feel like it should be, uh, although you know what, there, there should probably be some debate on either side. I think there's a couple candidates in each category. Who is your offensive MVP? I think it would have to be Derrick Henry. Yeah. But uh, they don't get as far as they get in the playoffs without him. I think, you know, Clearly, you could go 1A, 1B with him and Tannehill, I yep. think, on that. Um, I, Tannehill was, was clearly a difference maker when he got in there and, and, and for Mariota, but uh, Derrick Henry is the best player on the team. It's got to be him. 180 rushing yards in three straight games between weeks 17 and the divisional round of the playoffs became the first 
player in NFL history to to have to do that to have three straight games of 180 rushing yards or more in three straight games. So I think that makes sense. Defensive MVP. You know, it's a tough call there. There's, yeah. there's several you could make a case for. Probably probably Kevin Byard. Yeah, I think that's the way I was probably leaning too. I think he's the best guy on that defense if you were to sit there and say from a, a league-wide standpoint value over replacement who's the, the the best guy they have and I think he it's him but I think there's several of those guys in the secondary I think Vaccaro played really well I, yeah, I, I think Logan Ryan you know might be mine he had a really strong year obviously a contract year for him had a really you know just had a couple of really important plays throughout the course of the season I think he finished with Four interceptions, which I don't believe he had one in either of his first two seasons with the Titans. Forced four, had four forced fumbles, had over, I think it was four and a half sacks. So he was really making an impact, several different facets of his game. I think he was a big impact player for the Titans. And listen, you know, they, they had issues at cornerback with Adoria hurt for a period, Malcolm Butler on IR in, in November, uh, you know, so I think Logan Ryan having him sort of lead that group there for a while was was really important because, you know, as, as much as they struggled without a Dorian Malcolm, you know, just imagine how bad it would have been without Logan. On that note, and deviating a little, the MVP defensively might have been Dean Pease. He, he, True. He did a phenomenal job mm-hmm. this year. He really did. And, and most notably with those cornerback injuries, you bring in a guy like Tremaine Brock and I mean, that's a complex defense, and they, they had him on, on the span of a day or two you know, out there playing. And it, you don't normally see – I mean, it speaks to the versatility of that system and how long that man's been doing it right. well that he was able to continue to do what he wanted to do defensively with a brand-new guy off the street like that. That's, that's hard to do. And I think the Titans are really going to miss Dean Pete. I, I think that – you're not going to just find another guy that can do that. Yeah, he was he was just uh, you know, 47 years of coaching experience, 12 I believe as a defensive coordinator, you know, played for for so many legendary coaches from Belichick to Saban to Harbaugh. That that's tough to replace and and you know, also, you know, going along with that is just his chemistry, familiarity and and just connection with Mike Vrabel. That that was to me an important part of of what they had going on as well. So, I agree, tough to replace him and I think I think that's a good choice for for defensive MVP if you're not going to go with a player. Yeah, all right. All right I guess the next category we're, we're we've got several listed off here, so mm-hmm. so um, you could agree, disagree, and some of these are easy, some of them aren't. Right. Uh, the next would be most improved. Now it's a little different from we give a breakout award at some point down the list, but for most improved, Eric, who, who do you think over the course of the season? Uh, you know, I I might say. I mean, Ryan Tannehill is the obvious answer. He actually won that award. But if, if you're not going Tannehill, I think Jack Conklin made made a big stride this year. You know, this time last year, the, the Titans didn't pick up his option. You know, they, they wanted to see how he would pan out in year four with the team. And I, you know, I just remember the conversation this time last year being a lot different regarding Jack Conklin. Again, he was coming off injuries, coming off the ACL tear. I think he really, number one, he he. Um, helped this Titans team a lot. Number two, he probably played himself into a, a big contract coming up this offseason. I also think Adoree Jackson probably merits some consideration defensively. You know, same same thing with him as far as the conversation last year. I, I remember at that point thinking, you know, he's got to take a big step this year, and I think he did. I think when he was out there, I think he was really strong in his coverage. Obviously, 
you know, his his punt returning struggles were well documented, but if we're just talking about him on the defensive side, I think he took a really big step this year. I think if you're the Titans, you pick up his option this offseason. I think he's just a guy that that's earned that and that you want to hang around, especially we'll see what happens with Logan Ryan this offseason. But I think Adoree Jackson had a really strong year. I've got two as well that I'll mention that the first being Johnny Smith, I feel like he he really emerged this year as the next tight end in that offense. Like that's something I believe they they really wanted him to do. Um, it's time to, to make that transition from Delaney Walker to Johnny Smith. With with Delaney, I don't see any way they bring him back just because for the money that he would be owed, you're not getting that kind of production. And that's two years in a row he's had similar injuries. So the Titans needed that guy to step up as a top tight end. And I think Johnny Smith did that. He, he really emerged as as a weapon in the passing game. And you know they handed him the football at times. He, he's a guy that, that has a lot of ability and is really a, a, a player on the rise, I think. I, defensively, I would say Rashawn Evans had a, had a really good year. I, I think he a good one. he's he's a guy who you know he's a first round pick, and this year he rounded into the form of a player that was picked where he was. I, I, he he made some key plays at key times. Uh, there's room to grow there, but you have to like what the Titans have on the, in terms of inside linebacker in the inter, up the middle and the interior of that defense um, with him and, and Jayon Brown back there. Next is unsung hero. I think there's a lot of different ways you could go with this with this category. I mean, this could this could be the Brett Curran appreciation category. <laughs> you know, right I here. thought about that. I was going to try to that's get, get probably, creative. Yeah, it's probably the guy. To me, I still think it. If it's if it's not somebody like DMPs, it might be somebody like John Robinson. I just think the way he constructed this team, there's just a lot of little pieces that sort of came together, and you kind of look at what they have to do this offseason to keep it all intact. That, to me, is, is a reminder of how impressive it was that he just sort of assembled this group to begin with. I, I thought for a while there he merited at least consideration for GM of the year just with the job he did in, in assembling this team, the personalities he brought into the locker room, and, and just sort of the overall cohesion. You know, he's made a number of, of moves going all the way back to his his beginning here, 2016, that really helped sculpt the Titans into what they became this year. And uh, I think he, uh, to me, he's he's certainly one of the unsung heroes of, of this team. That's a good one. I'll I'll go a little outside the box here and say Khalif Raymond. Um, okay. This is a guy who really wasn't expected to probably make the contributions that he ended up making when, when he was able to, to get into a role there, I guess, midseason. And, um, you know, the catch in Baltimore is one of the biggest plays of the year. I, I He was the most dangerous kick returner. They probably kickoff returner they had. And um, while I don't know if that speaks to a long future for him with the Titans, I think what he was able to do highlighted something they need in the receiving core, which is which is a burner, a guy that can go deep. And, and a couple of really big plays this year in that role. The uh, the catch in, in Indianapolis also comes to mind, the, the, mm-hmm. the catch that sealed that win. Uh, and those are tough catches. You know, Tannehill airs it out. Tannehill uh, – Raymond, I think on, on both of those catches, the one in Indy and the one in Baltimore, he's he's fully laying out to make a diving touchdown catch. I think that's a really good one. I didn't think of that. And I think it shows what they need. If they're going to bring in something at receiver, I think they have a legit number one guy now in A.J. Brown. Corey Davis is, 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 is a productive receiver. They'll have Adam Humphreys. But they don't have a guy that can beat you over the top. And I think Khalif Raymond was able to kind of emerge as that guy, as you say, and make plays when needed. Yep. Best rookie offensive defensive. I think that one is probably... I think we're going to agree on this one. Yeah, probably the easiest one. Uh, offensive. 
A.J. Brown had a pretty good year, 1,000-yard receiving for, for the Titans, really emerged and showed potential as a number one receiver right right out of the box. You know, and, and I think he's got a really promising future just based on what we saw this past year. He was really, you know, the really the big thing that st- stood out about him was his sort of uh, propensity for, for big plays, for catches over 40 yards, and, you know, his, his yard after the catch ability, his, his elusiveness, his speed, his strength. I think he's an easy one for, for offensive rookie of the year. I'm sure you would agree. Yeah, and defensive would definitely be Jeffrey Simmons. Yep. And, and I, I think overall, this speaks to how good that class was. That's what you want is to have your top two picks be the ones we discuss in this. Right. But they weren't the only contributors by far in that group. Nate Davis ended up being a key part of, of what they were doing offensively. David Long ended up coming in on defense. Super impactful toward the end of the year. Amani uh, Hooker was was quiet for most of the year, but he had his moments as well. How would you grade the, the class, Gentry? I think it's an A. I think I when you, you see, A.J. Brown was better than I thought when the Titans selected him. And that, that goes back to the draft last year. I was just looking at the receivers, and I, I just remembered watching Ole Miss when he was there, and he never – really jumped out to me as like, oh, that guy's an NFL superstar, but he is. He, right. he absolutely has the ability to do that. He showed it this season. Jeffrey Simmons, you knew what kind of player he was. There were other question marks, including his health, but they were able to get him on the field, and when they did, it was pretty clear. He's, yeah, he and, could and I, I think I think John Robinson and Mike Rabel deserve a lot of credit for that pick just because there was it was it was the most controversial pick in the first round of a draft that was held in Nashville and he didn't know if if he was going to come back at all to be honest like the Titans were optimistic that he would be a late season impact guy for the Titans uh, for them but he came back earlier than than most people could have expected and he came back ready to to make a really big impact for this team was really important up front uh, you know alongside Jarrell Casey I think they deserve a lot of credit for that pick and I think you know Nate Davis sort of had a, a a little bit of a slow start, but you know, I, I think there's always going to be a learning curve when you go from Conference USA to the NFL. And, and to his credit, he really came along or along with the rest of the offensive line. So I, I really do think all the way around, hard to ask more from from what they got. If you can get three difference makers, three legit starters three in starters. those first three rounds, you did pretty well. And I think this was a uh, this is a very good draft, and that became apparent as the the season wore on and that's going to continue to help them because you're talking about AJ Brown as the number one receiver you go around the NFL and see what true number one receivers are getting paid mm-hmm. uh, from some of these teams and you've got him in the first year of a rookie deal that's a big <laughs> that's, that's pretty a big good. deal yeah, yeah right next up we have best coaching decision gentry there's a couple couple probably to choose all right from. I don't think we should be allowed to say the ta- the Mario to Tannehill switch okay. and the reason is it's because they didn't let Tannehill compete for the job to start the season, so I think that mitigates the. I, I think that you could criticize that so much that it mitigates the praise for making the decision to switch when they did. Although that was the turning point in the whole season, mm-hmm. we'll talk, we we can talk about that. Let, let's go ahead and include that into turning point, sure, and go ahead and say because that was another one of our, our categories. Turning point season was benching Mariota for Tannehill. I don't see yep. how anyone could, could think otherwise on that. So yeah, good decision when they made it. Mm-hmm. Even though it was desperation on the on the fly in Denver when right. it happened, he was looking for a spark and he got a full blown explosion. And the truth be told, they the next week they could have gone back to Marcus. It, right. it could have happened, but I think it was a good decision not to do it. I think Tannehill showed just enough at Mile High that day to not screw it up. Yeah, yeah, it, to, to be like, okay, we'll give this guy a shot. Right. And yeah, the whole season 
changed on it. Uh, otherwise, the, I'm going to say the. I don't know. You go ahead on best coaching decision if you've got one. I'm going to think yeah, on that. Yeah, mine is still. I just really like the move of of sitting Derrick Henry in Week 16 when he didn't have. That's to, a good one. When that he didn't, you didn't have to play him. I mean, you, you could have. It, it's a game that. It, it didn't totally mean nothing as far as the Titans' playoff standings went, but it, it meant very close to nothing, and, and there was very little reason to play him. You know, I think Mike Rabel knew that he was going to be giving Derrick Henry 30-plus carries in, in however many games they would have after that. Might as well rest him up. So I think that was a really proactive move made with, with a lot of foresight, uh, and I just give them a ton of credit for, for just having the gall to do that. I agree there. I think that that is a good decision. I'm going to go with just with the general willingness to wholly commit to Derrick Henry. Yeah, I think for me that that started because if you remember in week nine, that was the week that we were all losing our minds because Deion Lewis got three carries in the in the first half. Derrick Henry got two, and I think after that, Rabel, Arthur Smith, everybody got the memo that 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 can't happen in week. To me, the the big sort of turning point in that regard was week 10 against Kansas City when Derrick Henry runs for 188 rushing yards in the fourth quarter of that game. Titans were down nine points uh, like midway through the fourth quarter. They they go on a 10-play drive that features seven runs by Derrick Henry, including uh, a rushing touchdown to cap it off. That's To me, that's a passing situation for most NFL teams. But with the Titans, with what they do, Derrick Henry is their best weapon. They stuck with him. And I think from that point forward, they never really looked back as far as their commitment to, to sticking with him, no matter the situation that, that the game was in. You know, Eric, this being my first season here, I, I the thing I heard the most from the, the time I first got in here talking just with people I knew who followed the Titans were fans of the Titans. Why don't they just give Derrick Henry the ball? I, I think that this was a lesson that was kind of shown at the end of last season. And you come into this season thinking, okay, well, that's the plan. That's that's what they want to do. And it there were times it happened, but but not not really. And yeah, after that game in Carolina was when they they absolutely sold out to this idea and just started giving this guy the ball 25, 30, 35 times. And you see what happened. By the end of the playoffs, it was almost unstoppable. Mm -hmm. I think it just ran out of whatever magic they had and energy and everything in Kansas City. That was a team that had 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 to do a lot to get there. And I kind of – you kind of expect going into that that you just can't keep doing that. Right. I don't think Henry played poorly in Kansas City. I don't think the O-line played poorly. But I think they were going against a fresher – hungry team. I just think the better team won, yeah. And, and the game script got away from Henry in the second half, but I think he probably wore down a little bit, too. You can't ask – I don't care if it's Jim Brown back there. You can't ask a running back to get 180 yards every single week. Right. It just doesn't work like that. It does not work like that. But what they did, it changed their season. They went from a team that – I had they not done that with Henry, I don't think they make the playoffs. They go from a team that – could go like eight and eight and, and turn into a team that ends up making the AFC title. Yeah, game, I just so. think they re- they realized who they were. They realized what they had to do to maximize the potential of the offense, and they did exactly that. Next up for us is, is biggest disappointment, and and for uh, we're going to get a little more specific than just saying losing in Kansas City. That was a pretty big disappointment. Right. But, but in terms of Eric going into this season, what you expected, what you think they expected versus what happened. I think there's two that jump out to me. Number one has to probably be Marcus, you know, because you you were hoping that he showed you something, gave you some some reason to believe he could be the quarterback here of the future. And and the good news is is that he sort of uh, showed you something 
definitively in the opposite direction for for so long here he'd kind of been towing the line of, of is 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 he the guy is he not the guy and I just remember that being sort of the dialogue heading into this this past off season well you know through th- six weeks it was clear that he was not the guy so you know a uh, great teammate I think he was I, I think great teammate probably doesn't even do it justice I think he was he was important from a leadership perspective even after he was benched with with what he did how he acted his role on the scout team I think everything about Marcus Mariota except for what he did on the field is you know just exemplary I don't think there's another way to put it but as far as as his his on the field play I think that that goes down as a big disappointment agree and and I think um you know I probably would have said the offensive line Mm -hmm. here over the course of a lot of the season had they not finished the way they did but they did. They took over things in the playoffs and started playing really well. So I'm not going to say right. the offensive line is the biggest disappointment. I think the kicking situation yeah. Yeah. is an obvious one. You go into the season with a pretty proven guy that you feel feel awfully good about. For, for so long, it was like a, an afterthought. You know, just just suck up was automatic from inside fifty. Pretty good beyond that as well. And what just a, what a season long nightmare that was. And it got to where they didn't even want to try field goals. Yeah. And I understand that, like the the red zone stuff, they were doing so well they didn't have to, and that's that is true. But I do think they got more aggressive. I do too. Still, to me, one of the most unbelievable stats to come out of the season, where there was a lot of really kind of quirky, uh, crazy stats, was four straight games without even a field goal attempted. That to me was just sort of mind boggling. I, I don't think you bring Ryan Suckup back for what he's making, no. and, and I think. They don't know who the kicker is going to be. I, I think out of any position on the team, there is no greater degree of uncertainty than there will be a kicker next season. I think you could have an open competition next preseason with like five guys. Sure. I, I could see that. I think happening. you bring Greg Joseph back, throw him into the mix. I think he was like he he hit his one field goal try this past week, but he was good on extra points, and those are three thirty three yarders. And by the way, I don't think five guys will be on the ninety. I should say, <laughs> right? But I think they could work out. A lot of these guys. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you bring back Suckup because of the money, and uh, I, I just think he kind of. I don't think he was ready to come back when he did, and, and before uh, they placed him on the IR in September, you know, he complained of not having the pop back in his leg and his kicking leg, which is something you never want to hear from a kicker. And, and so I think that that probably lingered just from what we saw. He was one for six Titans, were eight for eighteen on the season during the regular season. All of those, you know, it's it's kind of remarkable that they got to where they got to in in spite of that, in lieu of that. Um, so that that is certainly to me as well a big disappointment for this team. And they need to get that figured out. That yep. could, it could have been a lot more costly than it ended up being. Mm-hmm. All right, what's next here? We got to, all right. We're going to look back and say what was the best game and the worst game. I think those are probably fairly odd. well. I mean, I think best game you might have a couple of answers for. I think worst game has to be the debacle in Denver, losing, getting shut out in in, in Denver. and and They bottomed out that day. Yeah, that, that, was, that, was, that was, was rock bottom. In the long run, it was kind of a, a probably a good thing that they lost as they did because it you know, provided the impetus for Rabel making that quarterback change, but that was that was rock bottom. I'll say this, that the Broncos ended up being a somewhat respectable team. Right. I think the, the loss time, in Carolina was pretty bad too, Yeah, the way it played out against a, against a very beatable Panthers team that completely collapsed from that point. As you look back, that was the day when we were in Charlotte where I unwisely wrote them off a little bit in what I wrote and said, this does not look like a playoff team because it didn't. Mm-hmm. And something I basically said something's going to have to change dramatically, and it did. But it I, did. That, that was not a good day. That first half in Carolina. Yeah. It, it, I mean, again, to me, it was, it was 
the fact that they didn't go to Henry as as they had uh, you know as they did the rest of the way. I do think the Panthers were actually favored in that game. I, I think at that point, you know, things hadn't gone off the rails for them. They hadn't fired Rivera. And McCaffrey had a day. I mean, they, yeah. They, so I, you know, I, I agree. I think it was a disappointing loss. I just, you know, for me, week week six was absolutely rock bottom. I think the home loss to the Bills was bad too. That was just yeah. a bad day for the Titans. The Bills, the Bills of all teams, took over the stadium. Right, and then that loss. They did, and that loss hung over them for a while just because it had wild card implications, and they just didn't look good that That was a winnable game, too. The defense played pretty well that day, and the offense did nothing. Right. Um, All right, best game. I'll I'll say Baltimore. I think that that was – Yeah, that's got to be. I mean, but if you you start looking back to the – to the regular season, I'll say the the game they won in Indianapolis was a biggie. That was a – Well, I mean, it was just they had to get off the schnei eventually, and mm -hmm. they did, and – I don't think it was a foregone conclusion. They had lost to Indianapolis earlier in the year, and and everything kind of came together for them in that game. And I think you know that when you're when you when the Titans are winning in Indy, you know that you realize you know, this could be the start of something. And plus, that was the kind of game you know Henry fumbled early on. They they had some things really go against them, and so, for so much of the season, the game script kind of had to be perfect. You know, right. the things had to fall just right the way they. But they didn't fall just right that day. They still fought, and they were able to win it late. And that to me was a. Uh, uh, there were there were a lot of little turning points, but that was a big result. You knew going into that they had to win that game, and they did. And so, but I think yeah, best game Baltimore and New England are are going to be the top of that list. I agree, the, the, yeah. the, the game in Baltimore was a was a masterpiece kind of effort against a team that they probably had no business beating at the time. Right. All right, we'll say we're going to go worst best again with just the position units on the team. I, I mentioned the offensive line. I'm not going to say worst but with with all with professional football you have to look at how much money's being invested and with how much money they've put into that offensive line they didn't really get what they probably expected until late when they started running henry and now the offensive line looks pretty good but i'm gonna say the pass protection really was never that great that remained an issue throughout the season even when they were winning and i feel like They've got a good group. They certainly got the guys you want to work with, but the pass pro has got to get a little better. Agreed. I agree. To me, it would still be the outside linebackers, the, the mm-hmm. pass rush. You know, I did cross off breakout player here. I think Kamala Correa had a really strong last few games of the season, and, and he kind of broke out for this team. It'll be interesting to see if, if he comes back. But but all season, uh, that that was something that kind of they struggled with. Harold Landry had nine sacks, but he, he – kind of fizzled out toward the end of the year was was really quiet <clears throat> you know and beyond him you know you, you lost you, you cut Sharif Fitch midway through the year Derek Roberson had some meaningful contributions as an undrafted free agent but you know they I, I just don't think they got enough out of that out of that group and I think that's got to be the focus this offseason top priority in terms of the draft in terms of free agency uh, in terms of what you're looking to bolster the most you know if it's not uh, the in-house guys it's it's guys that you're trying to bring in to, to improve that unit to me that's that's the biggest emphasis you know they brought in cam wake last season and you know, he's 37 years old he had two and a half sacks in the opener after that wasn't quite as impactful had a couple of, of important quarterback hits but he got hurt uh, so I, I do think they need to bolster that that part of their team uh, this offseason for sure if you're kind of bird dogging the 29th pick in the first round of the draft mm-hmm. an impact edge rusher seems to be the way to go. 
that's the need. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the biggest need on the team. And you can make case O-line that they were at one point the worst and the best unit on the team. I'll mm-hmm. say the best to me is still the secondary. I think they've got a lot of a lot of good players back there. They were able to withstand some injuries. They were hit harder other than maybe tight end with Delaney Walker. They were hit harder by injuries than any other part of the team. And they, yeah. they you know, we know this, Eric, from being around the team and being in the locker room, but the so much of the leadership on that team comes yeah. from the secondary. Those guys, all of them, they do, they're, they're all winners. They do it the right way. They're guys you absolutely want on your team. You, you they, that you want them to be kind of the spokesman for your team, which they are. They're the first people we go to when we need like a, you know, just a, a good quote. Bayard, Vaccaro, Logan Ryan, those guys for sure mm-hmm. are are exactly what you want. And I think one of the reasons uh, this defense was so successful in addition to DNPs was the, the fact that they had a lot of leadership um, from that area of the team. And it was able to, they were able to uh, lose a very good player, Malcolm Butler, and, mm-hmm. and withstand that because of it. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I think – the inside linebacker group probably merits some consideration too with Rashawn Evans, Jan Brown. When when that unit is healthy, it you know is a really important part of their defense. Wesley Woodyard did a good Woodyard, job stepping in, David and Long's David Long is a, is a star. He's stock is on the rise. Yeah, yeah it's a good I, group. I think, I think it was a good group. And last quarter category that I I included mid podcast was best moment, just because of something that <clears throat> I saw last night. I know you saw it was with with time running down in, in Kansas City, I think it was inside the NFL, caught Marcus Mariota going up to Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill was was upset. Uh, he said something like, I'm so mad right now. And, and Mariota comes over and says, um, <clears throat> you're going to be in a lot of these, kind of pats him on, on the back and says, um, this is the start of something great. I'm excited for you. You deserve this. And this is coming from the guy that was benched in favor of, of Tannehill. So that to me was just really speaks to, to everything that Marcus Mariota is as a as a player, as a teammate, as a person, uh, and it was just a really cool moment. You know, I wrote during the late in the season how well Marcus had had handled all this, and I tried to to get across because I think people would view it as like, well, what's he supposed to say? He's right. still making money, and I don't think people really understood the value of of how he handled this. And, you know, some of the discerning voices who cover the team alongside were kind of, you know, scoffed at it a little bit and talked about how, well, it's Marcus's leadership. And it's like, no, I, I truly believe there was something to that only because this was so unique. You, you, you see guys who will handle this and go about their business, but so much respect for Mariota and, and in what could have been a really tough situation for this team, because there were a lot, he's a very popular guy in that locker room. Had he wanted to handle this differently, it could have been very divisive very quickly. Uh, the fact that he was such a class act, I think, had a lot to do with with how well Tannehill was able to step in and contribute right away, and also just get a lot of buy in from the players around him. Um, you know, the team at that at that moment, it sounds easy now, but at that moment when that team's two and four, it's going so poorly. And it very easily could have played out differently. And I think Marcus Mariota deserves a, a lot of credit for that. Now, do I think he's going to go be a starter in the NFL again? I don't know. Not sure either. Maybe a high-end backup. Uh, maybe a guy that competes for a job next next offseason. Say Teddy Bridgewater type, a good backup to have. Right, right. Um, I just don't think for, for you know, he's, his, his run here in Tennessee is over. I, you know, he's not going to you, – you've got to pay. If you're going to bring back Tannehill, he's probably going to command – Something close to thirty million a year. If you're 
paying that for for your starter you, you can't be paying your backup no th- you know that type of of backup money and so, you you were right to say how big a question mark that was coming into the season and right i mean yeah they, they got their answer i mean it's there's no absolutely no question <laughs> who the yeah. quarterback should be for the organization now all that being said he's he's like i, I can't think of another i was going to say nfl player athlete in general that that handled the situation with as much grace or, or could handle it with as much grace as, as Marcus did. And I think it was perfectly exemplified in that moment toward the end of the game in Kansas city. It was really just really cool to see. Yeah. And, and kind of an unofficial passing of the torch, I guess yep. you'd say. And you know, good luck to Marcus. He's not going to be back here, but he is a good dude and he's, he's going to really good dude. He's going to be a, a valuable addition for somebody in a lot of ways that, that I think people don't always um, understand. Agreed. That is a good moment. We're not going to top that moment, but nope. I'll say on the field, uh, Derrick Henry shoving Earl Thomas in the back was pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty good, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, there were several where he got loose for long runs and teams couldn't deal with him under the long run against the Jags where he's stiff-arm, stiff-arming him all the way. I mean, yeah, I haven't covered too many players where when he got through the first wave, you truly believed he could go at that right. moment because DBs don't want to deal with him. And and he's fast. Like, he's six foot three. 247 pounds but he you know he, he's he's really fast once he gets past that that first the line of scrimmage and an honorable mention on that would be mike rabel getting run over by the referee on True. the sideline when he forgot about that blindsided the, the playoffs was full of just some some really rich moments for right. for the titans after <laughs> after a rather middling season a lot of the way it certainly picked up there at the end so. for sure I, you know, we'll, we'll we'll talk more kind of moving forward about where to go now in the off season. I know that that's going to be a, a big topic, and you know, or after bringing back Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, which I think you would have to expect, mm-hmm. um, this is going to be a um, an interesting off season. But I think it's an off season where you don't have to overhaul, and I'm not sure the Titans have really had that recently. I, the the, the to do list. It's big at the top with right. with who you need to bring back, but I think it's not as long as maybe it has been in previous years. They've got a good group coming back, both sides of the ball. They're going to have, you know, a lot invested in their own line and build around that. I think the receivers, who I've been critical of a lot of the season, I'd like like to see one more deep threat, one more guy that can really hurt you over the top. But AJ Brown's emergence is going to be big there. I think defensively, Dean Pease is a big loss. I think that makes bringing Logan Ryan back more important, in my opinion. A coach on the field type, a guy who understands what they're doing. And, um, you know, Vrabel had said that a goal was continuity, much like what he, I think the goal was with, with the offense with Arthur Smith. So do you think they promote, or what does that mean? I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. I'm going through a list now of, of candidates that I think might be might be fits. I think Shane Bowen, Tyrone McKenzie are, are guys on staff that, that could work. And we saw, you know, we, we saw, like you mentioned, that Frabel for, for his first hire, you know, this past season of, of offensive coordinator, you look to within. So I think that could be a way to go. I just, I, I know to me for, for Vrabel, the priority is going to be bringing in somebody that he's comfortable with. So I think that's, that's the big criteria for him. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see uh, how that resolves itself. You know, Vrabel's a defensive guy, but how much – I always got the sense that he handed the keys to to, to Dean Pease about as much as he probably would anybody. I think whoever uh-huh. – you know, this is a guy he played far, he respected, and he knew what he was going to get. I, I think no matter what you do now, you're going to have a guy who probably – Vrabel's going to be more involved right. on than he was this season. Be, yeah. and, and I don't know if that's a bad thing. I think that is going to be – 
probably trying to continue some of what they've done already. And that's why I think bringing back a Logan Ryan's important. This is, I've not run across too many more intelligent players in my career than Logan, a guy who could really break down what was happening out there. Mm -hmm. And if for no other reason than just leadership and the continuity of what worked back there continuing, I think, I think you need to bring him back. Even if, you know, you got a guy who's getting older at a position where that usually doesn't work very well, but I think it's important to uh, to do that. Anyway, all right, let's we can cut this off now. We got plenty of time now. The off season has started. Only time now. Only time now. So that does it for this edition of Talking Titans. We hope you'll subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already, and remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Drop us a review and a rating while you're at it. For Eric Bacharach, I'm Gentry Estes. We'll see you next time. Talkin' Titans hosts each Thursday at Tennessean.com. You can also subscribe to Talkin' Titans for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. Talkin' Titans is a production of the Tennessean.